Andor, Acropolis, and K3. This is Staying In. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2023. We've here. We've made it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, to give you a peek behind the curtain, we're recording this in 2022, so we might not have made it. So, so this, um, so Sammy's being mightily presumptuous here. <laughs> but yeah. unlike last year, Pete is here. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was there was a serious worry that Pete wouldn't make it to 2022. Um, yeah, 2023. We're beyond. I thought 2022 was like. When we got to 2020, I was like, oh my God, this is the future. 2020 is the future. Like That's the, the, the sci-fi date that everything is set in, right? 2020. Yeah. Now, we're in 2022, and I felt like that was like the future settled down a little bit, and it got into place. Like this, but we're in the future. We're r- right strong in the future. 2023 just feels like, hmm, I don't know what to make of it. Like 2050, mm-hmm. that feels like far future. That feels like we'll be teleporting. We'll yeah. be doing like, um, like you know, uh, space elevators and multiplanetary species stuff. Like that's twenty fifty without a doubt. Um, but twenty twenty three feels like <laughs> I have my doubt. <laughs> but we, but you know, twenty twenty three is like mm, it's a filler year. Is that what you're saying? It feels like a bit of a. It could be a filler year. But it feels like it has the all of the years. Uh, it feels like the year has the capacity to be a bit of a filler year. It feels like it will be going in, but I bet it won't. I bet really, unfortunately, it'll be not a filler year at all. It'll be, I bet it'll be really, quote-unquote, exciting. <laughs> like Full of lots of characters. Mm. I was just looking at films set in 2023 to see if yep. we can get a bit of a steer of what the year is going to be like, what, what it was kind of, you know, uh, predicted. Um, uh, one one of the films is called The Purge Anarchy. Uh, that is that the one fun. where? I mean, I feel like we're not too far away from that. Yeah, yeah, that's the one where like people go stay in your homes because of the purge, right? Uh, here we have. Um, right? So, <laughs> X Men: Days of Future Past is set in 2023, <laughs> with the plot being in a dystopian 2023. Robots called Sentinels have been programmed to hunt down and kill mutants. So, well, there's, there's that. I mean, that was only a couple of years ago that that came out. I mean, that was they had high hopes for the future at that point. Then high they hopes that was going to be happening. Dan, that film came out eight years ago. Yeah, that's not that long ago. <sighs> no, but it did feel like that came out like three years ago. Yeah. No, because you've you've had like you've had Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix since then. There's been a lot of guff since Days of Future Past. Yeah, I suppose. Avengers Endgame was also set in 2023. Anything hopeful at all? Um, I don't really know, Chris. There's Ladybug and Cat Noir, the movie. Um, Bring it on, cheer or die. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, what a choice to be what a choice to be given. So take your pick. Of what the year is going to be. None of those feel particularly hopeful. Well, I feel hopeful. <laughs> I feel hopeful for 2023. Because the thing yeah, is, 2023 is going in with low expectations, right? It's 2023. Who cares? This is a filler year. So even if it, if we, if it somehow exceeds those expectations, I mean, it's very likely. Therefore, it's probably going to be a great year. Um. I have made myself a uh, a couple of resolutions for the year ahead. Okay. And they're both video game based. Um, Let's have them. 
let's have them. The first one is to complete a game before playing another game. Good man. Which I think I'm going to have to come up with some sort of caveats for because I was because I've been I've been playing Prey, the Arcane Studios game on my Steam Deck. And uh <laughs> and then I got distracted and started playing Vampire Survivors. And I don't know if you can quote unquote complete Vampire Survivors. So I don't know where where I if I can stop or carry on. I feel like there's gotta be some sort of ruling about games like like that. You need to factor in things like FIFA and stuff as well, though. Those kind of drop-in, drop-out ones that, that yeah, you yeah. aren't going to complete. But and games with us, because we've got Far yeah. Cry Six, Sam, that we're playing. We but do. I also, I also think as well, it. You've got several different devices you play games on. I think if if, if it's as long, I think it's more the case of complete one on one and then move on to the next one as well. So, you know, because otherwise you don't you don't want your Steam Deck to be well, gathering dust. Yeah. I think I think I think there are some caveats around games like that, like FIFA, as Dan says. But the the big one for me is I think you're going to really struggle to quote complete games before moving on to the next one because some games you're like you know two hours in, for example, and you're like, ah, is this? Do I want to complete this? Like, do I want to spend another eight hours on this? I think what I mean by that is. Like, if I'm really enjoying a game and getting into it to complete it before then moving on to another one, I think I'm becoming a lot more, like with books, I'm becoming a lot more judicious about, right, is this hold, am I, am I interested? Am I getting into this? And if not, I'm just going to um, um, sort of sack it off, which is what the Steam Deck's great for because I've already got a library on there of like, three four hundred games so it's really easy for me just to be like just pick up something see if it grabs my attention and drop it i think the ruling for this resolution is it's got to be like maybe something like narrative narrative based games or you know yeah games that are sort of linear in structure or have some sort of narrative to it um well like a novel yeah well what well i'll offer uh, an alternative that uh, that I think I might because I to be fair I hadn't actually considered a video game related um, resolution. But you've said that, and I've my my brain has been whirring. Yeah. Um. And so I'm I'm a similar case as you that in terms of I'm I will often kind of skip between games and yeah. then kind of get complacent with them. Um. And similar to you, also I've got quite a few games that are not let's say kind of the the main one that I'm playing. So the likes of FIFA. Or I might play games with kids and stuff like that. So there's a variety of different games. So what I was thinking is, rather than saying complete one after another one, just have a blanket thing of completing a set number of games. And my thinking was perhaps six games for the year, which is like two months per game. Like I thought 12, like 12 games, 12 months, that's too tight of a turnaround. In theory, you could probably, if you if you're able to dedicate time, you could probably get a game done within two months. Depend, obviously, some are smaller than others. Like if I've got, if I want to play Red Dead Redemption Two, that's probably going to take longer than two months. But another game might be shorter. So that could be uh, an easier option. That, as Pete, you mentioned, like sometimes you start playing a game and you kind of think, oh, it's not really working for me. 
with my system, you can just drop it and move on to something else. You don't have to. Obviously, you're kind of getting rid of that as opposed to saying, I'll come back to it. But you can make that decision of like, I'm not going to finish this. So let's move on. I've got, because I've got like a load of games on my kind of pile of shame that I've not played. Unfortunately, some of them are very, very long. I've got Red Dead Redemption 2. I've got The Witcher 3, which is just getting its PS5 upgrade. I'm like, oh, that's going to take me a long time. Um, but I think that could be perhaps my video game resolution to play six, complete six games over the course of 2023. Do it. Do it. Well, I, I know I could, I know I could do that because throughout the year i've been tracking my well i've been trying to build up the habit of playing games more often um so i know that i at least do 10 hours a month so that's enough to complete that's 120 hours over the year at least minimum so i know that i know that's enough my other one is i think the one that i'm going to struggle with the most and it came to me after i ruined tunic for myself um basically next year i'm not going to look at any guides or walkthroughs for any game that i'm playing that's some ah there's some that's very brave because that is extraordinary that's an an interesting reaction actually from from you guys because i like i i did look at um a guide or two on tunic but it was very much a kind of like i haven't done this in year like i don't look at guides i don't i don't i've just i don't i've never even not since i was young and you would get a proper walkthrough mm-hmm. online that you would you have to read through the whole thing of like oh that's the bit that i'm at let's read how i do this i the one that, i never do that the one that does it for me uh that i've done uh, i did it a fair amount was when i played assassin's creed odyssey because there were so many bits in that, even though that game is holding your hand at a lot of different times, because it's open world, there's just times when you're like, where the hell is this? Like, where is this one thing meant to be? And you spend the next, you know, 30 minutes wandering halfway across the map to figure out, oh, it's actually that place where you were previously. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I know that it's probably going to lead to some frustration the caveat is that i can ask someone who's played the game for help nice but i can't go to an online um wiki um basically i was playing tunic and really enjoying it and didn't look at any guides or anything and i basically got to the point where i was so and i think this actually is a flaw in tunic's design that I got so frustrated with it that I was just like, oh, I just want to know how this how this is completed. And I found out how you get the good ending in Tunic, and I was like, if I discovered that all on my own, this would probably would be my favourite game of the year. <laughs> and I've kind of ruined it for myself. And even though I think it's a flaw in Tunic's design, I felt like sometimes when I'm looking up guides, like I'm robbing myself of some part of the um experience and i think i'm also robbing myself of conversations with other people about about games like i played through inscription recently which actually is one of my favorite games of of the year and i was i couldn't get the the inscription is broken up into three acts and i couldn't get past the first act and um it was 
really, really frustrating, but it was like, it wasn't clear how inscription is kind of built. It's not actually clear in the game where the progression markers are. There's not that much feedback in terms of, oh yeah, you're going in the right direction. And it, and it turned out that I just hadn't used an item because I just never needed to use that item. But I had to use that item in order to progress beyond the next, to, to the next act. And it was such a joy to like have a conversation with someone who played the game and like talking about how frustrated I was. And they were like, huh, have you tried using this? It's like, no, I've never needed to. And they're like, just give it a go. And I feel like that's where it's, for me, that's where it's different to like, a, you know, it's like someone giving you a hint to a puzzle rather mm-hmm. than someone telling you how to do it. It's yeah, like yeah. just helping you connect the dots rather than just, and like you still have an element of that satisfaction, but you don't feel robbed of the experience. You um, get that in um, things like uh, the room where they'll yeah. say, oh, right, there's three levels That's of it, hints. Yeah. And the first one is like, wouldn't it be like, what do you think the 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 vicar would say about the matchbox maker? And it's just like some weird cryptic <laughs> thing. And the second one is a little bit more on the nose. And the third one is basically, listen, dummy, do this, click here, and then you're done, right? And yeah. I, I think like it's really good because if you don't understand it in the first one, you'll probably get it by the second and you still get a, a reduced but still a reduced version of but you do still get that feeling of i'm smart i only needed mm-hmm. a little bit of help <laughs> like but also sam as well like um, i've not properly used it yet but the the new update on the playstation allows for those kinds of hints as well yeah i've i've used it a few times and it's really good it can be a little bit like it literally is here but um what was nice i used it quite a bit in astrobot to find some of the collectibles and it would be great because it would just be like you need to look in this kind of environment to find it It wouldn't tell you exactly where it was it would just like give you like the general like area of where to find find the stuff uh, to be fair that's i i use those to be fair i use those on tuning um and it was very similar to what you're saying kind of pete is that it's that three step process of little bit of a hint bit more of a hint this is where you need to go um and that because it does give you that chance to just just want a bit of help let me go in no no i still can't figure it out i'll go back again oh no still going oh okay and then often that information that you garner from that means you can solve other puzzles without any help because you know the, the kind of the core conceit and obviously these are all written by kind of the developers um so it is dependent on the game how kind of successful or how helpful these can be obviously if someone writes it just this is the answer and that's not doesn't kind of meet what we're what we're talking about here whereas if they are kind of helpful and understand sometimes games are hard let me just nudge you in the right direction like if they give you that helping hand then that's that's really helpful also i think i'm just getting lazy and impatient and i'm like like rob i i think i'm just become so used to just Oh, I have no idea where I'm going. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Like game facts, game facts, game facts. Just get the answer. Oh, that was annoying. And move on. Rather than actually like learning a game and like exploring it and like taking a break, walking away, coming back, actually spending time with 
with a puzzle or with a moment with a game rather than just always looking for shortcuts i think i'm just i think that that that's the part of me that i'm hoping this resolution will help change just generally becoming too frustrated too soon a lack of patience I'm beginning to understand why it is that I tend to spend longer on games than you guys because I don't do any of those videos. Who knew? Who knew you were all just cheaters? So, Chris and I had another little... uh, While the football was on, the big... The big football, the big sad. Oh, I didn't even know it was on. Sad? Yeah, it was really sad, Peter. Well, it was just, it was just the, it wasn't the outcome that the nation was wanting. Um, uh, while that was on, um, Chris and I got together and we played, played some games. Can you imagine? Can you imagine such a sight as that? I can. Um, we had some, uh, we had some fun. We played a new Helvetic game oh, called K3. Love that game. Which, um, yeah, which is a, a, a really interesting um, programming game about building cooperatively, but against each other, building a small mountain together out of these wonderful little um, blocks. Yeah, coloured okay. wooden cubes. It was almost like, uh, almost like I would say, chess crossed with like connect four yeah um, very abstract but it, there was something quite nice about the fact that it, every game ends with something of a pyramid being built and there are some really nice nuances there in terms of how you start so you start off each of a pyramid of blocks and and that's set in stone pun intended in terms of that order because you're thinking about okay Right, which blocks do I need to... I can't have a certain grouping together because that will minimise the chance of me being able to go. Because if I can't go, I lose the game instantaneously. And there are some neutral blocks there that act as wilds. Mm -hmm. So do I clump them together? Do I save those to the bottom of the pile when I get to them where I can kind of make things easier for me at the end? Or do I put them at a little bit at the beginning so I know I can at least get through to that end point? So there's a little bit of kind of forethought there. Sam says it is programming. But it was just not a delight. When to... you say programming, when you say programming, what do you mean by programming? What, well, what sort you of... have this, you have this central um, row of these coloured blocks in the middle of the table, and then you each get a random selection of different coloured blocks. And the aim of the game is is for you to take blocks from your pyramid and put them on a block that's the same colour in the central. Um, uh, pyramid that you're that you're building. So where the programming comes in is the first thing you have to do in this game is build your pyramid. So you're building your pyramid with the knowledge that you need to almost program it so you will be able to place the blocks at the bottom by the time you get to them. Otherwise, you're like laying traps for yourself in in future turns. Does that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Like yeah. like um Colt Express to a degree where okay, you yep. you put down your order of cards. You've got your own deck you're putting down, but you're also trying to work out what the other person's going to put down. Yeah. The difference here is that usually those cards are kind of put 
face down at certain instances whereas actually i can see sam's pyramid he can see mine so i know what ones he can draw from and i can be strategic in terms of which blocks i choose to play because i know he, he's only got a certain choice left to play so you could start off the game with lots of like reds and green and like black spot black spots in front of you to put stuff down so you're just like right i'll put them at the top of the pyramid because i know i can play those and then as you're working through right i'm going to need to start getting rid of these blues at some point but i can only do that in the later game when those become available so i'll put them at the bottom so then i can play them on a later turn so it's it's and and, and it comes in this wonderful little um uh like hessian bag it's um a real good chuck in the backpack game but the one game that i think chris and i enjoyed the most was Acropolis, which you may have already heard about. You may have I've already seen. Yeah. Not least because it's award-winning. Yeah. It, uh, um, Who's it from? Won. Oh, uh, Gigamic. Gigamic. Um, and it won the um, uh, the best family game mm-hmm. uh, at the UK Games Expo last year both the people's choice and judges award winner and acropolis is like i love a tile laying game i'm a sucker for carcassonne i love cascadia i love games where you're picking up tiles and you're building something either on your own in front of you or with people at a table and like I love both the idea of um creating something either cooperatively or individually, but I yep. also love that idea of maximizing the potential of of a space and working out working out that puzzle and Acropolis scratches both of those itches really. I think one of the things I loved about it most is that to learn the rules, I watched a seven-minute video from a couple of um, <laughs> seven-year-olds in America explaining the rules, and I feel like... <laughs> Hello, dum-dums on the internet. We are seven-year-olds. Here's how to play our game. It's, it's hard. That's amazing. That's incredible. I, I, I really admired their, like, both enthusiasm for the game, but the fact that just, like, well... I, well, okay, I really can't mess up this rules explanation. <laughs> That's amazing. If a couple of seven-year-olds. And, like, the the game itself is actually relatively simple. You have these, these, these tiles, and you, on your turn, you pick a tile up from the construction site, you put it in, the, you put it in your city, and then at the end of the game, you score based on what's in your city there's a couple of you know rules for certain tiles so like you want to get blue tiles which are houses you want to get as many of them all together in a bunch you want to make sure your markets are not touching any other markets because the merchants don't like competition you want to make sure the barracks are on the outside of your city and you want to make sure that um the temples are all completely surrounded and um, you want to make sure you have like gardens in your city and all this kind of stuff. So, 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 the placement rules and the actions to put them in your in your city 
a relatively um th there's not a, a lot of heavy mechanics or rules um, learning behind that kind of thing it's kind of they they kind of make some sort of logical mm. logical sense a seven-year-old could understand it a seven-year-old could understand it and then how the scoring works is is that you have these these buildings that you're putting down into your into your city but they're only worth something if you're able to also put down plazas of the same color so you'll have like blue plazas and yellow ones and red ones and they all have these little stars in it at the end of the game depending on how many say for example depending on how many barracks you've got you multiply that by how many stars you can see on your city and that means that you can really sort of min max your city like you can go like right i'm going to build loads of barracks and just get loads of red stars and just have that as my big main scoring point or you can get like broadly democratic with stuff that's going on in your city and then there's a verticality to it you score one point if things are on one level but you score two points if you build something on top of another part of your city and you'll score three points that thing if it's on a third level so it's a really inviting really simple to and i hate using the word simple when it comes to rules explanations but bloody hell a seven-year-old taught me this game mm -hmm. um and the other thing which i think is is really the thing that, that that's going for it is it's over in 20 minutes and i think with tile laying games that is exceedingly rare to have something that's kind of like pick up put pick up place 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 and it's over just in a flash and that was really one of the the refreshing things about 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 playing the game that 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 I really enjoyed i mean it sounds like the rules are well written then if seven because yeah there are there are there are less complicated games from what you've described that have been yes. more difficult to understand mm -hmm. uh, which is which is good so what's the what's the actual theming around it so, so it's called acropolis what's the actual is it like ancient greek is it like, like yes yeah, so it's like a idea so it's like it? if you imagine that each player is basically like a different mediterranean city mm -hmm. and the aim of the game is basically you're just building the best okay the best city so, so that's the kind of theme kind of like touch points of as you say things like carcassonne that kind yeah. of so idea. so the the actual imagery of the of the tiles you've got like these white stonewashed walls and then these blue houses so you get that almost like that santorini kind of vibe so the yeah, houses definitely. have these little like blue verdant rooftops to them um the markets are these you know vibrant yellow like bazaars that sort of run through through your town and then these rich like lush sort of purple temples so it is very evocative and that and, and i think that's one of my favorite things that a tile laying game has to be is is at the end of the game win or lose you should be able to look down on the table and go i've created like it feels like i've created something here like when you finish playing cascadia you really feel like you've created a habitat 
mm-hmm. when you finish playing Carcassonne, you really feel like you've created a city. And it's the same with Acropolis. You really feel like you've created something um, quite special on the table and you've done it in under 20 minutes, which is probably, I think, why it won all the awards of S Family Game because you can put it on the table, easy to understand, and over within 20 minutes, you're onto a winner. And that's the key, really. Like, you can play this game like really kind of strategically if you wanted to. I mean, essentially playing the game, you can kind of think very carefully about the colours and where you position them because what I love is that agony about, okay, oh, I need to overlay to get points, but I don't want to block certain colours. So that's yeah. a really lovely thing to have. But you could equally say, actually, I'm just going to put a tile down because, as Sam says, it, it's this wonderful little sculpture I've made here. And it does that thing that I think great tile lane games do like Carcassonne is that you kind of organically adapt to the size of the space you're working on so if you can feel yourself going to the edge of the table even though strategically you should go there you kind of think well I either try and move everything across or (laughs) I put it somewhere else and I like the fact that that's just an element of chance there's no there's no way you can predict that but Acropolis like tile lane games it adapts to wherever you play it on, which I think is really, really lovely. And given the fact, as you say, Sam, it's 20 minutes long, you don't begrudge that whatsoever, really. Uh, Can I talk about what for me was probably, I think maybe my favourite television series of last year? Let me have a look. Hold on. Here we go. Not set in 2023. There have been, there were some really good TV shows last year. There were some absolute belters done. Let me give you my list of the TV that I enjoy because I always keep a list every year of the of the hot things I enjoyed, be it TV, video games, books, movies, or board games. Um, and my uh, my best of twenty twenty two was Dope Sick, uh, Only Murders in the Building. Very good. Uh, Very good. The latest series of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Arcane. Oh, yes. Uh, Ted Lasso. Uh, I know that's not 2022, but this includes stuff that I watched for the first time in 2022, which includes Succession. But is is what you're going to talk about included on that list? No, it's not. Ah. Partly because I don't have Apple TV, so that knocks off some of them. This this came really left a feel for me because this is this is actually a Star Wars television series. <gasps> oh, I know you're talking uh, about. Uh, right. No, because because and you're quite right to react like that because they have done some absolutely awful television They've series. They've done some stinkers, <laughs> uh, some awful. <laughs> um, like, uh, and I think we are in this genuinely in pop culture now. And this isn't just a Star Wars thing. It's 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 kind of any kind of mainstream geekdom quote-unquote universes where when you've got a universe that's been around for a while this is why the comics industry was so presently understood this where they felt actually hang on we need to bring in new viewers we'll reset sometimes we'll do that because Mm -hmm. we realize we've got a young audience now who don't want to try and find their feet with a, a saga that's been going on for years and years and years let's start again with them you know, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe starting in 2008 and the Star Wars universe starting in 1977. I mean, I came into them through the prequels. There'll be people above me that came in, obviously, through the original trilogy, as it were. There'll be people now coming into it through, I don't know, The Mandalorian? I haven't got a clue. So 
the challenges we're facing is that what we tend to find is this schism when we do universes where we'll we'll make we'll make part of that universe for the kiddies they can watch that and then we'll have something for the grown-ups but the problem is with something like star wars there'll be those adults saying well i just want it to go back to the kind of space opera you know capers of the films and you'll be getting those saying oh we need star wars to grow up you know and you kind of see that in series like obi-wan kenobi where he breaks a person out of prison by hiding them under his his cloak in one episode and then in andor which i want to talk about they plan a heist that takes four episodes to kind of plan and execute and and there seems to be this really different kind of approach here obviously both have their roles but what i mean is that these kinds of series in star wars have kind of not known where to sit tonally and in terms of their audiences and the book of boba fett was awful uh the mandalorian was great until it started to knit itself into the star wars universe Mm. um and actually what tends to work really well is when you can you know it's a big universe it's a galaxy for god's sake why does everything have to come back to this kind of stuff the reason why andor has been my favorite series from star wars is because it's barely knitted to that fabric of that universe it features it features a main character from rogue one which we did talk about on the pod who was kind of forgettable mm. really to be honest and somebody who I did not want to see a backstory for, and then I wasn't really excited about this series being launched. Um, but then <laughs> I find out that the showrunner is Tony Gilroy, who did wrote the Bourne films and was brought in to kind of work on Rogue One towards the end. And this is a political spy drama. Forget the Star Wars veneer. You don't need to know anything about Star Wars. And I mean that quite candidly, really. There's no mention of Jedis or anything like that. There's no lightsabers. There's barely any star battles in space. Um, this is a political spy drama where you've got... Essentially, it captures that desperation of living under a totalitarian dictatorship. And mm-hmm. you really feel that precarity of trying to form a rebellion in that something I've never seen come across really in the films, obviously by dint of them being that particular medium, but it does make you question throughout, okay, if this was happening to me, I say if, would I join a rebellion? Would I, would I be, would, or would I be too scared to do that? And okay. to use a theatre analogy, and I don't use this sparingly, it is very Brechtian. The only thing it doesn't do is turn towards the camera and in a didactic manner shove the, the, the message down your throat. We, but it's, we should probably explain what that means. Yeah, so um, Bertolt Brecht was a poet, uh, playwright and a director from Augsburg in Germany who was one of the kind of forerunners for what is called epic theatre where the whole premise was that rather than just focusing on a moment in history, you look at the event as a whole, which is why it's called epic. So you stand back and you look at it from a distance where you can kind of critically appraise what is happening on stage. So you're aware at all times how this story fits into a bigger socio-political landscape. So when I'm watching Andor, which is named after the titular character Cassian Andor, who is this kind of like who's a thief who becomes embroiled in something bigger than they can understand. You're not just following their story. Imagine you've kind of got this cat's cradle of different threads that he's connected to without realising that stretch from him as this thief 
all the way to a senator on Coruscant who's secretly funding this rebel alliance whilst trying to keep up appearances to the Imperial Security Bureau that's trying to track all rebel activity to the rebels themselves. And as what's happening is these strings are starting to get tightened and knotted up with each other or are kind of being kind of plucked or tied up or cut or snipped in places. And it creates this really interesting tension. But it's not all about him. He's just a catalyst. And what you're doing is you're going back and forth between these different sections. A little bit like in the Bourne films. You don't just stay with Bourne throughout the entire time. You're also following the people who are trying to track him. Who Bourne never really meets, to be honest. You are, you are the one link between all of these people. And it is just fascinating. You find yourselves cheering sometimes the empire because of the squabbling amongst them of one person trying to rise through the ranks you find yourself cheering for mon mothma the senator who's trying to dupe people around her because she doesn't know who she can trust and you're cheering for andor as he is trying to kind of you know make ends meet and survive against this dictatorship really what's the deal with spectacle because for me that's where the Star Wars films have always lost me a little bit in that it's a really interesting world and there's lots of really interesting characters, but every single, like, every single argument or every single division or every single confrontation is solved in the same way. Like, it's all just solved with spectacle and there's never there's no you know nuance or character that's just can we get this person into a lightsaber battle probably this is how we'll do it like does it not just all end in a big battle i i can cuz i've watched um andor as well i'd probably say a lot of the things that that chris has said um i'm not a kind of a a star wars kind of fanatic um, I've watched the films, the kind of the, the the core the core films. So I watched when I was young, before the prequels. I'd watched all of the original trilogy, um, what was the prequels, and obviously the, the newest ones. I've never really watched any of the TV stuff, so never watched Clone Wars or anything like that. I watched maybe an episode of Mandalorian, never really interesting, but I kept hearing these <clears> things <throat> about Andor. I'd watched Rogue One is probably the only one outside of the main. Um, canon of films and I really really liked Rogue One um, and I think the thing that really stands out for me with um, Andor which feeds into kind of the question you ask Sam and it's similar to my feeling towards Rogue One is with the films and I don't know how how, it, how that's reflected in some of the other uh, series with the films there is this sense that it is this big space opera it's happening on spaceships and flying around and all this different stuff happening on these fantastical cities in the sky and all that stuff there's a very real feel with andor that you're on the ground that you're on the you're, you're on the ground with people you're, you're seeing the grassroots of what is happening and so because of that you don't have as chris says you don't have these space battles or on a hangar, people lightsabers and all these battles and everything. You don't have that because you're just people talking a lot of the time. And there are so many times where I sat here thinking, reminding myself it was Star Wars because it had been ages since there was. There is there is action in it. There is scenes of lasers at times and stuff like that. But there is such kind of extended periods where there's just nothing like that. Like Chris mentions, like 
planning a heist over several episodes. It's not delayed because there are battles. It's delayed because they are planning. They're talking. Relationships are being developed and being kind of pushed against each other. So they're trying to work each other out. Trying to see, are you on our side? Are you not? Can I trust you? Can I not? Um, Nobody really trusts anyone because no one really... Because they're working on a basis of a rebellion that they know kind of could be infiltrated at any time by the kind of the omnipresent empire because of that there is so many times where it's dealt with by a conversation or they take a different route than you would expect from a star wars thing um because uh kristen mentioned he'd watched it and i text him um after a couple of episodes and i text him i was like i watched episode one i like it it looks beautiful it's kind of got like blade runner kind of themes that's what it made me think of and then i watched episode two and i was kind of like well it's good. I don't really know what direction it's going in. And then I got episode three and it was like a light bulb clicked on and it was like, okay, I know what this is now. I love it. It's exactly my cup of tea. It's the whole rebellion, kind of the underdogs, that, that kind of narrative just speaks to me. Um, all that stuff suddenly kicked into gear and I just, yes, I'm on board. But what I love about the whole rebellion side of things is that it talks about it as... A rebellion isn't just this one group rebelling, which is what you get from kind of the Star Wars films. You get from all these different places when they talk about that kind of story. It's one group's fight. Yeah, black and white. What you see here is that a rebellion is created by several moments in several different places. And they all start to connect. They all start to think there is an uprising here. It's not just one guy leading. It's several different places all coming together at once. And that was just a really subtle, nuanced way of developing this story. And also as well, importantly, you you actually learn about what the cost of that is, the aftermath of that. So, for example, I don't want to go into spoilers, but an event happens in another planet which causes an adverse effect on another planet and the Empire are much more militant as a consequence. So you actually see what the outcome of that is. Mm. And Tony Gilroy is very patently aware of the allegories that can obviously be quite drawn here very quickly and very you know keenly between this which again makes it quite brechtian in that regard but to go back to what you're saying sam beforehand what i love about andor is that when an episode ends yeah. it just ends you're like oh okay it just suddenly catches you off guard when it just begins there's no kind of like building to a climax oh my word credits it just ends it just breathes in and breathes out and it's it's so confident and the script is on point. Some of the script writing is this. Given the fact that Star Wars has given us some awful dialogue in the past, mm-hmm. this almost feels too good for Star Wars in terms of the writing of it. It genuinely is some of the most extraordinary monologues that I would, I'd love to give to my students for like audition speeches and characters that feel living and breathing. It is led by character, not by just doing and hitting things and shooting things. It is led by character. So when you get to the end... The payoff is sublime because you've grown with these characters. You've, you've breathed in and out with these characters. Some you like, some you don't like. And they've casted it absolutely superb. Um, you've got Fiona Shaw, who just is just a powerhouse there um, as Andor's uh, mother. You've got Denise Goff, who plays uh, Deirdre Miro, who's this person in the Imperial Security Bureau. It gets really bureaucratic, who's trying to work her way up from the ranks against her colleagues 
um, trying to find the rebels. And you want her to win because you want her to kind of rub it in their faces, but obviously you don't want them to kind of um, catch the rebels. Um, Stellan Skarsgård, who plays Lufen Rao, who by day is an antiques um, shop owner who who kind of sells antiques to the the upper classes on Coruscant, which is this kind of governmental kind of planet where the Senate is. And then he goes into his back room, he takes off his wig, goes into his ship, and he's out there in this cloak trying to make deals to get this rebel alliance started. But he needs money to do that, which is why he leans on this senator, yada, yada, yada. So you see all the kind of machinations that go into rebellion. It's not the fact that let's put out a call, let's light the beacons and everyone comes. No, it's actually a really dangerous place to be for lots of all the different strata of society here um so yeah i was incredibly surprised by this absolutely blown away by it and the last thing i want to say about this is it doesn't use the volume ah right yeah so for the last few years star star wars has used this this screen technology um to kind of allow them to transport and create a set instantaneously using cgi but what it has meant is a lot of the scenes in star wars feel like they're plays like it's just on a stage Andor doesn't have anything in the volume everything's filmed on location even weirdly near us sam there's there's a sequence which is supposed to be like a resort which is actually just a beach north of blackpool all right okay yeah yeah yeah. that's north of blackpool um my partner was like Hang on, I know where that is. But that's that's kind of actually an example of kind of how different Andor is. That there is like like scenes where there's like this planet, it is kind of like a beach resort, and like that's the kind of thing that you've never seen in this universe before. And it's not saying it's it's a, it's a massive thing, but no. it's just a case of they are just giving nods to a real world that's not this fantastical thing happening up in the sky. And it has this really interesting modular structure because it's twelve episodes, which is quite big, but it's only gonna be two seasons. Suddenly, after like three or four episodes, it'll be completely different. You'll be somewhere else entirely with Andor, and like, oh my word, this is this could almost be a whole series in itself. And then you'll spend another four episodes, three or four episodes, somewhere else entirely. So it has this really interesting structure, um, which isn't like, okay, I've got to get, I, I I know exactly what I've got to do at the very beginning, and at the finale, that's where I'm going to be. Andor doesn't know what he's doing. He's kind of bumbling around, just trying to stay alive. Um, but ends up you know, tripping over all of these threads that I mentioned beforehand and causing this all this chaos around the galaxy that he's unaware of necessarily. But yeah, solid writing. Cannot wait for series two. So we talked about uh, what 2023 was going to be like in movies. And uh, now we can tell you what 2022 was meant to be like in movies. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of films set in 2022. Oh, okay. I was wondering where we were going with that. Uh, probably the, the, the worst of them, as in uh, the most terrible of predictions, is Soylent Green. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a way off. <sighs> I mean, that does actually exist, Soylent Green. Do you know that? There's a... Um... You know, uh, Huel. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a minute. I feel like this is libelous. No, no, no. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, there is, or there was, a competitor to Huel that was called Soylent, and it was named after oh Soylent Green. Oh, my God. What's wrong with people? In the, in the, 
Well, because these are the because Sam, these are the same people. Okay, these are the same people. Like, like, like people like Zuckerberg, for example, that read things like Snow Crash, where they invent the metaverse and go, "Oh, that's a great idea," and just don't understand the rest of what happens. Like, oh, what? That's a- they literally read that one page. They read, yeah. 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 Here is what the metaverse is. Stop reading there. Don't need to read any more of that. Like, let's just let's just move on. You know, it's things like that. This circle book sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) It just honestly, so yeah, like Soylent does exist. It isn't people. I want to make that expressly aware. (laughs) As your lawyer, yeah. As your team of lawyers, (laughs) as your team of lawyers. Please make it expressly aware that Soylent is not people. That the Staying In podcast does not believe that Soylent is actually made of people. If if you had to be in, if you had to be represented in court by someone, who would represent? Who would represent you? What out of us? By a fictional lawyer. A fictional lawyer. Yeah. Don't, don't just oh. mention your mate who studied law at uni. Uh, who's the don't you don't believe the truth? Who's that? Who's that guy? He seems a bit. Handy. Oh, from Dan's favorite film. Uh, I think yeah. I find it's the best who, film of all time. It? A few good men. It's uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Daniel Caffey. That's a good man. That's a good, that's a good film. Though. I've seen that. It's good. But does he win? <laughs> Spoilers. Because you really want to know that, don't you? Because I mean, I mean, you can come out with a line like that, but if you're not going to win, then I don't want. Well, you yes or no? What do you mean, yes or no? It's a courtroom. It's more complicated than that. <laughs> well, I'll t- I'll, t- I'll tell you why yes or no, and this is spoilers. He has he has two defendants who both face two charges. They are found innocent of one charge and guilty of the other charge. So yes, it's both yes and no. He, all right, okay. So yeah. that's why it's a few good men because yeah. only one of them. It's not good. all good men. <laughs> it's not all good men. I'm currently reading. Uh, uh, Are you reading some kill- John Grisham? No, I'm currently reading oh. uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, because okay. um, because it is the Atticus most. Finch. Exactly. I would choose Atticus Finch because I feel like they would make the right decisions. They seem like, mm. I haven't got to any of the court bits yet, but I get the feeling that they're, they're, they've got their head screwed on. That's my, uh, that's my, that's my thinking. I'd probably think. go for Jennifer Walters. She-Hulk. She-Hulk. She-Hulk, right. Okay. I mean, you may Matt, as well go with... See, Matt Murdock is probably... A, uh, Matt Murdock would be a good one. To be honest, though, you know, actually, let's, let's not muck around. The real one that we should all be saying. I know who you're going to say. Person, Ali McBeal. All right, I thought you were going to say Phoenix Wright. <laughs> that is, Pete. That is a deep pop culture cut there. Well done. What about uh, what about legally legally blonde? They, she was a lawyer, wasn't she? Uh, she was. Yeah, I mean that was literally the point of the movie, Sam. Well done. <laughs> uh, you see, you, you've done a Zuckerberg there, and you've you've sort of just about seen the what the point of the thing was. Yeah, <laughs> she was a lawyer, wasn't she? Wasn't that the point of the movie that she was? Um, I think I'll probably go um, Saul Goodman because even if we don't win, I think we'd have a nice time. It'd be well. The dialogue would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like us to represent you, then <laughs> please email. <laughs> please, please rethink your life choices. Yeah, and please email stayinginpod yeah. at gmail.com yeah. and um, we might not be able to help you in court but we can help you make a judgement 
on oh, some good, wonderful oh, um, Sam's creating video a new games. Feature. This is the first episode of And the Judge Sam. <laughs> we, we can help you pass judgment on board games and video games that you might like. Mm. Um, if uh, you'd like to see those pages where we've um, uh, made those calls, um, then you can head to Board Game Geek and you can head to Steam where we've got curated pages of all the video games, all the board games we talked about. Um, uh, they're not just guilty pleasures. They're all absolute bangers. Um, so, yeah, head to there if you want some recommendations. No all right, then. Up. That's it. I think we just let it end it there. No, 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 Pete. Pete. All right. Because there's lots of other things that people could do. If they want to contact us, uh, they can do that through, as you say, Staying in Pod on Instagram, Twitter, uh, yes. Facebook, mm-hmm. Staying in Pod, I think is the name everywhere we it's go. All, yeah, people, you'll find it. It's all there. It's all, uh, there. It's, it's all absolutely. So if you want to send us your judging, your judge, we'll, we'll workshop the name for Judge Sam. Um, but Pete investigates <laughs> any, just, any just questions that you have or recommendations, we'd love to hear them. Um, I would go for t- I'd go for Turner QC like that it's not QC anymore isn't it KC isn't it it's KC sorry KC Turner KC thanks um, I mean it doesn't have you, much of a ring it doesn't, to it doesn't, Sam doesn't. you've really missed one here because of course uh, you could go with Turn Around uh, oh yes I mean it's I'm just walking out the courtroom yeah, and they're just like, oh, he's every lost. now and he's then I get a little bit lost. He's lost another one. <laughs> um, oh no, he's turning around. Oh, oh, just one more thing, Mister Judge. Perfect. Um, um, I'm going to add Nicholas Brittell's "The Rebellion Suite" to the Spotify playlist from Andor, nice which one. is a banging tune from that series. Absolutely incredible. Um, one of the things that we often do, uh, some people might not notice, is you will see. Uh, when you download this podcast, there comes with, it comes with show notes, which links to everything mm-hmm. that we talk about. So if you're interested in one of the games that we talk about, for example, we'll actually link to where you can, um, the official website, yeah. for example, of where it comes from. Um, we'll also link to the YouTube channel of those, yes. those kids who are giving the demonstration of how the board game works. We'll link out to that as well. We'll, we'll put that in there I, th- I think I think there's a particular series on the... Um, play the game HQ channel called Kidsplaining. Okay. Which is... You had it Kidsplained <laughs> to you. I had a game Kidsplained to me. And thanks to uh, Hachette for sending us uh, Acropolis. And thanks to Cold Spring for sending us K3. Much appreciated. Yeah. All the best. Happy New Year. All right, then. <laughs>